0: From the Ryerson Review of Journalism, happy Valentine's Day. I'm Emily Pardo. I'm Laura Howells, and this is Poll Quotes. Daniel Jones has read a lot of love stories, like tens of thousands of them. He is the editor of the New York Times column Modern Love, where people tell their firsthand stories about human relationships in all their agony, strangeness, hilarity and joy. The essays explore everything from polyamory to parenting, the joys of online dating, and how to train your husband like a sea world whale. Modern love has been popular for well over a decade. And a few years ago, the Times launched a podcast version where well-known actors read those stories aloud.
1: For the record, I am a fish person only in the sense that I like to eat them. Then why have I become emotionally attached to a pocket-sized creature that lives in a cocoon of water?
0: Our last year together was the loneliest of my life. At times, often when I was walking somewhere on a routine errand, sheer misery would make the world spin. It could have just been one of those first dates from hell that eventually becomes funny in the retelling, but it wasn't that simple. We worked together at an advertising agency. Uh, She is a human resources coordinator, and I, as one of the human resources she coordinated, Last fall, Dan Jones was in Toronto for the Hot Docs Podcast Festival, and I talked to him about what it's been like editing this column for so many years. We've been sitting on this interview for a while and figured Valentine's Day was a good time to share it. Hope you enjoy. So you've been editing this column now for well over a decade, since 2004? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, how many essays have you read over the years and, and what's been your process for deciding what gets published?
1: Uh, I, I would guess that I've probably um, received some 80,000 submissions over 13 years, and I've gotten better over the years at figuring out how soon into the submission I can stop reading, and, and what, um, what kind of writing I can sense is not really going anywhere, or more importantly, who's not uh, really going to reveal themselves and what they're struggling with. Um, so that's what I key in on um you know the earliest is is do sort of do they have a story do they have a voice and do they have a perspective that um that is like someone who's learned from experience someone who's been humbled
0: do you have, do you always look for that learning aspect
1: i do yeah I, I i it's funny because people will often say about the column opposite things like people will say it's too depressing and other will, other people will say it's too happy at the end, always. <laughs> and my, my uh, sort of um, ha- how I determine what. What, what a positive story is, is if someone learns something. And the only thing that's depressing to me is not learning from experience. It's not the experience itself that's depressing. It's, you know, terrible things happen to everybody. You know, nobody gets out of this alive and everybody has, has breakups and everybody ha- feels crappy and um, rejected. Um, everybody has health problems at one time or another. Everyone suffers through loss at one time or another. So you can't, it can't be what you've gone through that determines whether your life is happy or sad. Um, but it's all this sort of, you know, what, what can I take from that? Not only, and, and at a different level, like not only what can I take from that and what can I learn from it, but how can I articulate that in a way that it helps other people and that it gives them an idea of, of what, um, how they can navigate their relationships Storytelling has been the way that we learn how to live our lives since people have been drawing on cave walls. You know, it's it's the way that we learn. It's not through um, advice as much as it is through which we sort of want to resist. You know, it's it's through storytelling and seeing how other people have done it and what's worked and what hasn't and what what they've learned along the way. So people there will always be a hunger for that kind of material.
0: You say you look for learning. Um, How do you feel that? Reading all these thousands and thousands of essays has affected your own life, or what has it taught you over the years? Uh,
1: I I don't have a specific answer to that question. There's a there's more of a broad answer that um, you know. I feel like I go I go around uh, with with a sense of empathy as to what people are dealing with because no one, especially in this age of social media, um, everybody's in this position where they can curate their lives and put out the best the the best presentation of their lives, and so it's 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 sort of a strange time where um, where what people are really going through can often be hidden. I mean, there's that aspect of social media where people unload, you know, all their all their problems and all that, um, but more often than not, it's the it's the happy presentation on on vacations and. That sort of thing. So I I feel a little bit like I'm seeing into the lives and bedrooms of thousands of people every single year. Um, And to me, it's, I mean, my reaction often is um, that I feel like, man, I haven't lived through anything yet. You know, (laughs) I I haven't faced um, a a lot of these real tough decisions about... um, about whether to stay so- with someone or stay in a relationship or this one tragic story where this woman um, had adopted a Chinese baby that ended up having medical issues and the adoption agency said, well, you can trade her in essentially for a healthy baby. And she was faced with this this choice and not, none of us ever really are prepared for that. but. Um, you know, I just, I feel um, just sort of humbled by other people's experience and what they've gone through. And I've learned that more than anything, that you have, to, the way to live a happy life is to be curious about your own life and about the future and, and be curious to new experiences. Um, I think, I think a lot of judgment, um, eats away at you, you know, and, and is not healthy and curiosity, I think, is healthy and, and life-giving.
0: Have you noticed the stories um, changing in the past so many years uh, in terms of the kinds of stories that you get um, over time?
1: I think this, the column reflects the changing times um, and the accelerated way that, that both, in, both in terms of technology, um, social change, Medical advances and having children, um, and uh, open adoptions, and just new ways of of loving and um, being in relationships. the The interesting thing about love and relationships um, is that people are always trying to do it better than the people who came before them. So you look at your parents' relationship, or your, you know, in-laws' relationship or whatever, and you think, well, they were sort of fixed in roles, and we're going to break out of that. <laughs> we're going to do it better. And we're going to love our children more effectively than our parents loved us. Like, there's this aspirational quality where y- you... The bar gets raised, and you think you're going to do it better. And really, you're just going to mess up in a different way. Like, there's no mastering love. And people think you can. Like, there's this th- there's this thought that... that um, that it's been done badly in the past, and we're gonna, we're gonna be the generation to figure it out. And from my perspective, it's just interesting to see the problems that arise from that, like, quest.
0: I guess it's a good thing in that you'll have a never-ending supply of stories that will come
1: <laughs> It's a never-ending supply. It, there's, and it's been surprising to me how, um, I, I mean, I could be just as jaded as anyone could be at this point, having seen all these stories. And I, I definitely read with a more professional eye than I used to in the past. Like I, there'll be a tra- horribly tragic story, um, that uh, that would have disturbed me in the past, and now I just move on. Like I'm really able to, and have to be able to just sort of let go and move on, um, and find a story that that works. Um, I don't know. You, you, you see a you see a spark. it's it still surprises me that I can. Um, read a story about marriage, for example, that presents a way to get along with your spouse, to improve the way you, you get along, that's like revelatory for me. And I'm like, well, how did this not come up in, in 79,000 essays? You know, how, how, how is this fresh? Uh, how could there possibly be anything out there that's fresh? And there just, there is, there constantly is. So um, I don't know, something optimistic about that.
0: It really is, especially because there, there are so many cliches and love and relationships mm-hmm. and those kind of stories. that. Cause I was going to ask, like, do you feel like you've become very cynical over the years, but
1: no. I feel cynical. I mean, I, I'm more easily dismissive of, um, of people's attempts to um, not face their own problems. You know, I, I, if people are um, sort of tap dancing around problems or, um, or are judgmental or full of blame and all of that, I get, I get sick of that more, more quickly, and I'm able to move on from those submissions more quickly. But I, I don't, um, I'm not cynical at all about the stuff that works. The it's, it's stuff that's really fresh is always fresh and always fun.
0: Do you consider um, modern love a form of journalism?
1: I'm not sure I've ever been asked that question before. I think um, it's, it's a form of journalism in how, in how it uh, chronicles um, through, through personal stories, you know, how we love and how we um, navigate relationships. It's informative in that way. It's people sort of on the front lines. Um, when it was first proposed as a column, I didn't see how it even fit in the section that it fit in. It wasn't a section that had personal essays, um, but it had trend stories, and it talked about, um, it had vows, which was about weddings, and it's really a section about people and about relationships, and ultimately, I saw that it made sense um, and had, it pla- had its place. It's still a little bit of an odd um, an odd feature in a newspaper because it's it's personal stories that can be verifiable to some degree, um, but there—it's one person's perspective. In a news story, your objective is to gather all the uh, all the people involved, or as many people as you can, and get a well-rounded account of what took place. And in these stories, memory is more important. But most important is it's one person's side of the story. It's not a balanced account. And how we remember things is important in um, in revealing sort of our link to those experiences and uh it has to be from one person they they can tell their side of the story and then the other person if they have a problem with it they can tell their side of the story but there's no there should be no attempt to reconcile the the account to to include other people's um, memory of events
0: so how much do you put into fact-checking these stories or trying to verify if they are true
1: well, I've developed a bag of tricks over the years of of, of where I see opportunities to verify stories. Um, there's some there's some sort of legal questions that go back and forth that that writers um, need to commit to. Uh, they have to write their use their real names on the stories, which is a a, a, a big factor in in people telling stories that are true because. It's going to go out to a lot of people, and they're going to be held to account one way or another. So for me, the 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 more um, I have all kinds of processes where you know, if 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 the story is um, risky in some way, if it involves a a divorce where people's um, identities are publicly accessible, and and you know they might not be portrayed in the best light, so. it becomes important that we look into it. Those stories get end up getting investigated very deeply. Um, so they, you know, I, 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 am often in touch with people who have been written about, and, um, and I have to sort of referee a little bit of that sometimes. Those stories can take a lot of work. Um, then there's a story uh, like Andrews that he read tonight or this afternoon that. Um, it's a one-night stand, so his his father's death can be um, can can be verified. Um, where Andrew was at the time, all these things um, can be verified. A one-night stand is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to verify. Um, but in cases like that, there's the the risk is considered low because the person isn't publicly identifiable. So we don't feel like we're exposing um, someone unfairly. There we take great pains to make sure people aren't exposed.
0: But you will like, go back in the case of a story about a divorce and, and talk to the person and then try to get in touch with the other side. In some I other have cases, done
1: that in many cases, yeah. Is that
0: awkward? Or how, how is that?
1: It can be uncomfortable sometimes, yeah. But it's necessary. It's necessary to do it in advance.
0: As you say, modern love isn't a traditional form of journalism, but um, it's still wildly popular and you know, people race to the Sunday Times to read it. I mean, do you feel like your work with modern love is at all political
1: um, it is political I mean all storytelling is political um, I think it it it's most political when it um, overtly um, when the subject is overtly political that, that we've did pieces um, prior to gay marriage becoming nationally legal in the United States that were told from the perspective of people who wanted the law changed um, and that is a political act you know you, you're, um, you're you have a family member who's in that situation or whatever and those those become political stories but I, I think um, there they are uh, sort of subversive political stories because they work through personal connection and they they're not an argument um, they're not an abstract argument they're they're a, a personalized argument where the person is saying, this is my story, I'm a human being, um, this is what I'm struggling with. And if you can get people to empathize with an individual um, who wants to have marriage as an option in their life, rather than this abstract idea of should gay marriage be legalized, um, I think that individual can have a lot of power. And if they're on a soapbox that can reach you know, a million people or two million people, then it becomes even more powerful.
0: I mean, obviously, journalism
1: is going through a, a
0: pretty challenging time right now. And, and this podcast um, sort of looks at these questions and these challenges and tries to sort through some of them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you think there's more of a role for these kinds of stories or this form of, of storytelling? Uh, or should there be in terms of Consider the future of journalism?
1: now, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, after the election, which was such a contentious and surprising election and left a lot of people feeling very bitter and hurt and scared. Um, I saw on social media, and especially on Twitter, people um, specifically commenting on how they found comfort in the Modern Love podcast. And they were sort of, in the days after the election, were sort of binge listening to Modern Love episodes because it made them feel better about humanity. And I I just thought that was so, uh, I mean, it made made me really happy to see that, but it surprised me because uh, Trump so dominates the news that it, it, it's suffocating for other um, for other forms of media, for for books, for novels, for storytelling of all kinds. And I think there's, there's been um, there's been a shift in people's what they want to pay their attention to, to toward things that, that make that give them hope, you know, and, and that give and that uh, allows them to um, feel a sense of empathy and to remind them that there's still people who care about each other and, and that, that our individual relationships are more important than abstract political relationships. And so that really made me feel good, and it made me feel like there was a, there was a real place for modern love. And to tell you the truth, in the past two years, um, and in part because of the podcast, the, the column has just surged in um, readership and listenership to, to unprecedented levels. So it, by that measure, it's... Um, a tough political climate is good for storytelling.
0: I want to touch briefly on the podcast. Um, what did you think when you, the idea for Modern Love podcast first came up?
1: Well, that's actually something that I am cynical about, because over all the years, there's been one idea after another floated for how to do, make more out of Modern Love. And, um, and almost all of them have crashed and burned. And there's been TV interest and a TV pilot made. And you know it just it, there's it's hard to take something and make it into something else and 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 have it work. So uh, you know regularly, I in The times have been approached about different ways of of repackaging and representing modern love. And I honestly felt the same way about this as I had about many of those other opportunities. i I thought, well, Who's going to listen to that? <laughs> why would that work? And why is that a good thing to do? Um, but the people people at WBR were were very um, impassioned about it. And then when they took it, and originally there was there wasn't any talk of having actors, you know, who who were actually known actors reading these things. And when that was proposed, I thought. Well, why would they want to do that? You know, what did they, what did they have invested in that? So I didn't think that was going to work either, and that worked from the start. They, they people wanted to do it, and they signed on to do it, and then it became this snowball effect where them doing it led to others wanting to do it, and they really enjoyed it and thought it was a challenge and and a lot of fun. So I was totally caught off guard by um, both how appealing the show was, um, how much fun it was for me to listen to these essays that I. I'd, Grown either grown so familiar with or totally forgotten, and um, they were just given not only new life but um, but more emotional life than they had flat on the page. And so for me, it's just been a complete upside, and um, the fact that it's turned into performances, and you know we've we've taken it to big theaters. Um, We've been asked to go to Prague, and to Romania, to festivals. and um, So I've logged a lot of frequent flyer miles because of this podcast at this point.
0: Did you ever have any concerns about having people's very personal, intimate words read by somebody else and, and by known actors?
1: We did worry about that at the beginning. And, and we had questions from, um, from listeners and readers who said, why don't you have the authors read them? and it's more authentic if you have the authors read them. And I, I had some sympathy for that, um, but I've heard authors read, and I've heard, you know, and very few can carry off a reading of their own work um, in, in, a, in a really sort of emotionally charged way. It's just not what they do. And uh, one of the greatest sort of surprises and pleasures was just seeing how, um, how much a trained actor can bring to, to an essay that the writer could never bring.
0: How long do you think Modern Love will go on?
1: There's no incentive to kill it, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I thought when I first was hired for the job that it would last a year or three years because that's what the person hired me expected. Um, so the fact that it's lasted 13 years has been a surprise, and. Um, but now it, um, it, it has its audience and it has a growing audience. Um, so I, I don't see why it would end, but you never know.
0: All right, and last question, one you've probably heard a million times, but favorite columns?
1: I have been asked that a million times and I don't really answer it because I, don't, I, I you know, can't think in those ways, but um, the, the kind of columns I like most, well, I'll tell you my favorite recent column. And, it, and it, it sticks in my mind because it, it's very much in the news now. And it was titled, My Body Doesn't Belong to You. And it was written by a young woman in Connecticut who was writing about being catcalled and groped. And having men, after she reached a certain age and developed and became noticed, was lamenting this like loss of her own body as belonging to her and that it was being treated by men as public property it was just so moving and well done and resonated really strongly with um, with readers who just uh, you know and this was before Harvey Weinstein and this was um, sort of before this was just in the headlines every every night um, and it just it was such a surprising. Piece where she compares being in the, you know, playing in the dirt as a kid naked and how liberating that was and how fun it was and how, you know, sort of coming in out of innocence and into experience and just never being able to feel that way again and that sort of loss. And the funny reaction to that piece was so many women wrote in and said, um, well, I'm, you know, 45 and no one looks at me again and I love it. <laughs> it was like and it was sort of a sad, you know, like wait till you get old enough that no one cares what you look like kind of thing. And you know, they, they were championing this as being so great, but there's a loss in that too. So, and it stirred up a lot for a lot of people and I thought it was just really well handled.
0: After all this, do you have any uh, relationship advice that you've sort of come to a conclusion on?
1: I'm not much of an advice giver. I, the, 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 main, the main thing that I can ever tell people is, that, um, is, is what I see in stories of people who seem happy. And um, it goes back to what I said earlier. The, those are people who, um, when bad things happen, um, don't think, oh no, poor me. They think, well, now I'm going to experience what this is like, you know. Um, and that attitude shift is, is sort of a remar- remarkable thing to observe. And that's what people should aspire to. Thank
0: you so, so much for speaking with me today. Thank you very much. It was fun. Thanks for accepting our pull quotes, Valentine. This podcast is produced by Jacob McNair, Laura Howells, and me, Emily Pardo. Executive producers are Sonia Fada and Stephen Trumper. Follow us on Twitter at pullquotesrrj and get in touch. Email pullquotes at ryerson.ca. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.